Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm so glad that uh, I've got a wonderful show in all set up for you today. I've got Beverly Canaris in my studio, uh, joining me here in just a minute. Then Dr. Greg Borgon is going to continue his teaching on the trajectory of salvation. In hour two, Dr. Rebecca Ree is going to jump into 1 Kings 17. So it's going to be an awesome day. I can't uh, wait to get started we often think of Jesus as the teacher. He's way more than that. Beverly Canaris has been a Bible study fellowship teacher for over 30 years, and is also a co-host of the podcast, She Is Becoming. Bev, welcome back. Thank you, Bill. Yeah. So, Jesus the teacher, let's get to it. Yeah. Well, you know, I find that sometimes Christians are reluctant to even say Jesus and refer to him as a teacher or think about him as a teacher because there's been so many people who have said, that Jesus was just a teacher. Right. Unbelievers saying he was just, you know, they try to give Jesus some credit, you might say. So they say a good teacher and they're thinking they're giving him a nod, but there's so much more. But yet we shouldn't ignore the fact that he is the ultimate teacher. The best teacher. The best, mm-hmm. the ultimate, the unique teacher. Um, we know that Jesus is more than a good teacher. He is the only son of God. He is God in the flesh who died for our sins, rose again. Jesus is Lord, God in the flesh, who taught with a unique authority that only he could have. As a second member of the Trinity, only he could speak with the um, and teach in the way that he did. So we're going to go into that today. I think mm-hmm. it's a fascinating topic, and I think we can walk away from this time appreciating more the fact that Jesus is the great teacher and that we have a great, you know, to have a great teacher is life-changing. Yes, but to paint this whole picture, and I love the fact that you brought it up, Bev, that a lot of people will throw Jesus a bone saying, well, he was a good teacher. Right. But he was so much more than that. So much more. But Way more. We're yeah. going we're gonna to focus on that he is a teacher, but why was he so unique? He wasn't just a good teacher. He was the ultimate teacher. And our life can be changed too when we um, give Jesus, when we come under his teachings and acknowledge who he is, who the teacher is, and what he teaches. So today, let's look at his unique ability of teaching and the quality of teaching. His teaching is meant for us today as it was when he was on earth teaching in person. His teaching is timeless. It's for all people for all times. Now that's pretty unique because over the years, certain teachings kind of come and go, don't they? They go in popularity or not popular. Well, his teaching is unique in that way. It's timeless and it's for everyone of all times. It's also has, uh, it's an enriching experience to focus on the attributes of God. And one of those attributes is teacher. Our God is a teacher. Matthew 4.23 describes this early ministry that Jesus had. And this is how it's described. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Teaching is listed first. Yeah. There's a lot that went on in that verse. 
Isn't there? Yes. Teaching, proclaiming good news, healing diseases. Yeah. That's, that's a, one that's a busy, sentence. That's a busy, <laughs> that's a busy verse. Wow. Wow. To sum up his ministry yeah. in that particular way is beautiful. So the first quality of Christ as unique teacher is his authority to teach. This sets him apart mm. from any other teacher. With what authority are you saying that? Exactly. That How many was, times do we read that in scripture? A lot. Uh, he he's did a lot of pushback. His authority was pushed back on a lot. Yeah. A lot. A lot. And it still is today. And we have had a lot of other teachers in the world, religious teachers and leaders, but none of them could speak with the authority that Jesus did because of who he is. The religious leaders of that day were very ruffled by his teaching, by the way. Jesus didn't go through the religious hoops of that day. He had no religious training, no official role, yet he was indeed called what? Rabbi. Rabbi, Mm -hmm. which means? Teacher. Teacher. Yes. Right. So Don't that, ask me any harder questions okay, than those two. Okay, okay, okay. I'll, I'll try to keep it at a minimum. <laughs> You're so funny. Well, after Jesus had finished teaching the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most amazing teachings, by the way, it's found in Matthew 5 through 7, three chapters, just spectacular teaching. Um, If you're not familiar with it, that is worth your time to sit down and carefully and prayerfully read those three chapters. But after he finished this amazing teaching, the people... This is how they responded. This is what they said, Matthew seven twenty eight. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So here we need a little background on this. The religious leaders of the day just spoke about what others said before them. And at the time of Christ, there had, hadn't been a true prophet in Israel for some 500 years. So the people heard a great contrast between what the religious leaders of the day was saying and what Jesus was saying. They could see the difference that he had authority and he had power in his teaching that they did not have. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting, isn't it, that the people's first comment was um, on the apparent authority that Christ taught with, even before the content. And when you read the content of those three chapters, that sermon, it's astounding. It's some of the greatest wisdom on earth. and But before that, they mentioned his authority, that he's teaching with such authority. This is really not surprising because hearing Jesus teach is seeing who he is. He could do nothing but speak with authority. That's amazing. Exactly. Yeah. Beverly Canaris is my guest. If you just joined us, we are talking about Jesus the teacher Yet so much more. So much more. Mm -hmm. His teaching is instructive in our getting to know him. That's what's the most important thing about his teaching, getting to know him. Secondary is the teaching on how we should live. Always first importance is who is he? What is your relationship with him? That's the most important. The teaching of Jesus brings us into intimate contact with him. That's what's really important about his teaching. Now, the words and the teachings of Jesus have intrinsic, intrinsic, intrinsic authority. authority. As we spoke the study of the teachings of Jesus, we're going to gain an assurance that he spoke like no other man. Because he didn't. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus repeatedly says this, you have heard it said, but I say to you, This places Jesus as the authority above the religious leaders of the day. And he does this without explanation, no apology for it. He just says, 
It's been said, but this is what I say. God, the Lord, is speaking here through uh, Jesus Christ. He said, I have come to fulfill the law, indicating who he is, the Messiah in whom the law all pointed. Jesus ends this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount with an illustration of wise and foolish builders. Jesus said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, in other words, his teaching, and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. Rain came and it did not fall. But foolish is the man who does not put these words or these teachings into practice, who is building their house on sand. When the rain and winds came, this man's house crashed. So by basing our life on the teachings of Jesus Christ, and remember, that's going to reveal who he is and, and also what, how we are to live. What a blessing that we can have this kind of teaching in our life. Now, these statements made by Jesus really distinguish him from any other teacher. John's, uh, Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is truth. Every word he speaks is truth. You know any other teacher like that? I sure no, don't. I don't. No, he's, they ho- they hope that they've got a a little bit a finger of truth, you know. Mm-hmm. But he speaks with absolute truth. Jesus teaches in this verse that in order to have God the Father, you cannot disregard Jesus. It is through Him and His sacrificial death for our sins that allows us access to God. What he's really saying here, and he's speaking the truth, you reject the Son, you reject God. Let's just talk about that outrageous verse. That's an outrageous statement, if it's not true. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If that's not true, that's pretty outrageous. Outrageous. This is why, you know, C.S. Lewis said he's a madman. Right. Or he's Lord. Right, right? or a liar. But a liar, you right. you got to pick one of the three. Yeah, exactly. And this is one of those statements where you want to say that. Yeah. This is truth. Yeah, because if it's not, that's the biggest ego I've ever seen. Exactly. Right. So, but because it is truth, you, you have to trust that. You that bow it, before it. Bow before it, exactly. Well said, Beverly yeah. Kinners. Jesus isn't just another good teacher. No. Nope. He is God, the Lord, the Messiah who teaches. And what a gift that is to us. Jesus tells us in John 7, the source of his authoritative, truthful teaching. Now, Jesus had been teaching in the temple courts, and the Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Hmm. Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from one who sent me. Anyone choosing to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. So whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but the one who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There it is again. There is nothing false about him. So what he's saying is his authority, his knowledge, his truth that he's teaching here is one with God. He is following through on on being part of the Trinity here in his teaching. So another bold, bold statement about who he is. And this is why we need to listen to his teaching. It's not just about how to teach us what to do about this or that or this or how to live. It's about who he is. That's the teaching we first have to pay Mm -hmm. attention to. Secondly, how to live. Does that line feel a little bit like a dig or more curious? How does this man get such learning without having been taught? Yeah, it's hard to tell without tone. Well, you know, it's it's kind of like, um, why is this person teaching when they've never gone to 
school for it. Right. Let's see your rabbi diploma. Right. right? Yeah. Right. Right. So, and you know, they maybe resented the fact that they had to go through all these hoops to to be able to yeah. have any kind of authority. And yeah. here comes this man shows up on the scene, and you know, it's it's amazing, blowing people away. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Awesome. Exactly. So, you know, repeatedly these religious authorities questions Jesus's rightful authority. A very interesting con- uh, confrontation happens later in Matthew, Matthew twenty one. Um, <laughs> it's interesting. Jesus, it, listen to this. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you a question. Again, the master teacher. Oh. Not answering their question, asking another question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from human origin? Now, they discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So, they answered Jesus, we don't know. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. So, I love the way he responds here. You see, um, John the Baptist endorsed Jesus as the Son of God, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Messiah. And so if they answered that John was under the authority of heaven or God, then why did they not they believe in Christ and what he taught and who he identified Christ as? You know, as, as I was researching this topic, I read that there were three things about Jesus' teachings that we can conclude. First of all, Jesus' authority is God's authority. This means that Jesus is God, part of that Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, for only God can speak with 100% of God's authority. I can't speak with 100% of God's authority. No pastor, preacher, greatest teacher, human teacher can. Secondly, Jesus' authority validates his teaching. Remember, it was an intrinsic Authority. Only Jesus is always true and can always be trusted to tell the truth at all times. Mm. Great reminder, Bev, that Jesus will tell you the truth at all times. So everyone who's listening can be assured that Jesus will tell you the truth all the time. If you want to hear it. If you want to hear it. Yeah. 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 Third thing to conclude here is that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. You know, our greatest need is not more teaching. (laughs) A lot of us, our greatest need is really uh, the need of forgiveness of sin and to have our relationship with God established. When Jesus healed a man, the authorities questioned his authority. When he told the man that his sins were forgiven, they called what Jesus said. When Jesus said that, that was blasphemy. But listen, only Jesus provides what is needed to be forgiven sin. He alone has authority to pronounce us forgiven on the basis of his sacrificial death and our confession of faith. So we have to ask ourselves, am I the authority in my life or is Jesus? You know, as you hear and read the Bible, will we acknowledge the authority the words have on our life? Will I allow Jesus to lead me by his teaching or will I refuse to be led? Mm, Will I do it my way instead? Yeah, that's actually a pretty good place to hit pause and let everyone listening kind of answer that question in their own head. Who is uh, who is the authority in your life? Is it you or is it Jesus? When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Beverly Canaris. We're talking today about Jesus the teacher 
and we'll be right back. You've probably heard me talk about hope quite a bit this season, and I think it's because we need to hear more about it. We need to encourage one another with hope. We need to build one another up with the hope that we have in Christ. And if you are feeling lonely, or maybe you are having periods of disappointment or despair, and you need hope, we want you to know that you can always come to God's Word for hope. Hope will always be there for you waiting. And if you are struggling to make it to the next moment, I want you to be able to text the word HOPE to 877-933-2484. Beverly Canaris is my guest. She taught, was a Bible study fellowship teaching leader for over 30 years, so she knows what it what it means to prepare and get ready and teach the Word of God. And today we're talking about Jesus the teacher, but we're also enjoying Bev the teacher right now. Mm. Thanks, Bill. Well, it is an important topic to realize the authority that the teaching of Jesus holds. And that's what struck the people of his day, and that should strike us as well. Does his teachings have authority in our life? And that was kind of the question we left off with when we finished before the break. But now let's get back to this. I'm thinking about the person who might need to hear something a little different right now. You may need to hear today that Jesus is also a very patient teacher. Again and again, we read the disciples who lived with Jesus three years, yet often didn't understand his teaching. Ah, I'm kind of relieved. The Lord knows what you need to be taught right now in your life and will use his teaching to grow you as you grow deeper in insights. You know, we are to be lifelong learners of what the Bible teaches us. Every time I read and study a passage, even if I've read it many times before, even taught it several times, I get new insight. You go deeper and deeper. And how many times have I opened up the Bible when I had a need and God has spoken to me and taught me by what I read that day? It's, so li- it's it, living the, and active. It is. Yeah. It's it's teaching me every day. Yeah. I write down something in my journal that Love I've it. learned from the Lord today. So what are some of the results of a person who does recognize the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and his teaching? Well, the first and really an important one is we desire to obey the teachings of Christ. He said, Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you will obey my teaching. All right. I so the first result, obedience. That's such a powerful verse. If you love me, you'll obey my teaching. Pretty clear, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's a mic drop. That's a mic drop. Yeah, you don't is. have to add anything nope. to that. Nope. Um, that says a lot. Wrestle but, with that first. Yes, mm-hmm. I do. John 14, 23. I do. Keep that in your brain. Yes. Well, then another result of a person who does recognize the authority of Jesus Christ is found in John 13. After Jesus had washed his disciples' feet, you picture that, he said, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So another result of recognizing the authority of Jesus is that we want to serve like Jesus and follow his many examples. Another result, with Jesus 
not bodily on the earth. How do we sit under his teaching today? Well, there's several ways. First of all, the reading and study of the Bible. Hearing the teachings of Jesus taught. Seeing his teachings modeled in other Christians. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Mm-hmm. Also today, we have the Holy Spirit who is our teacher within us. Christ said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send the Spirit, and he will remind you of everything that I've taught you. I love that. We have the Spirit within us. Um, Christ in us is the Holy Spirit. 1 John 2.27, as for you, the anointed you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you, talking about the Spirit there, his anointing, you about all things, and as that anointing is real and not counterfeit, just as he has taught you, remain in him. So Jesus said he would not leave us as orphans, but he would send his Spirit who continues to teach us. And he does. And he does. Yeah, nonstop. And that's a whole nother podcast or yeah. teaching time talking about what the Holy Spirit teaches us and continues to the teaching of Jesus in our life. Another result of recognizing the authority of Jesus Christ and his teaching is that Scripture warns us to beware of false teachers. God does not teach opposing truths. There's a lot of that going on today where they'll say, yes, but, you know, this... Or they can both be true, but God does not teach opposing truths. God's truth is God's truth. God's teachings are always consistent. People can be very prideful, even rebellious, when teaching that which is not from God or twisting it, undermining the very obvious teaching for a more socially acceptable opinion. So that's something to beware of when we think about the authority of Christ. Beware that you're not taking what he has said in his authority and changing it to fit you or the culture's needs. Mm -hmm. Another result, we are to now teach others. Deuteronomy tells us we are to teach our children what God teaches us in his Bible, in the word. So we are to use this teaching that Jesus gives us, and we're to share it with others. And we're very responsible for teaching it to our children. So that is something God is looking for us to do, is to also be teachers of God's truth to them. Also, we're to use um, our, if we have a gift of teaching, we're to use it. If this is the gift you are having, you, know, you have been given, are you using it? Are you teaching um, truth and and being a good steward of that truth that God has taught us in his word. Always, our teaching is to maintain with integrity to what God has taught in the Bible. No exceptions, really. No, no. It's not a time for personal opinions. Yeah. That teaching for the Lord, teaching his truth, teaching God's word, uh, we will be held accountable. It says that teachers have uh, will be held to a higher standard and accountability for it. Yes. Makes me tremble, Bill. Mm, I get it. Beverly Canaris is my guest. We're talking about Jesus the teacher, uh, but of course we know him as so much more, and that's the point Beth's making. Yeah, exactly. And then there's this final result that is so, so important of people who understand that the teachings of Christ are his authority and we're to, we're to handle them as such, that they, he speaks from authority as no one else did. Jesus shares that authority, Bill. 
He shares his authority with his servants like he did when he sent out a group of disciples, giving them power and authority to preach, to heal, to teach. So at the close of Matthew is what's known as the Great Commission, chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. This is what he says in his last earthly words to his disciples that are recorded anyway. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, there's a stopper, too. I agree. All authority. He has all all authority. authority. You know, how bold are we? How naive, how prideful are we that we can think we know better, that we can teach something that's above him and better than what he has taught? It's astounding, but we do it. Then he goes on to say, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So we are to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to share, we're to go out and make disciples. We're to be baptizing them and we're to be teaching them to obey everything he has commanded, everything that he has taught. And then he gives them assurance and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus, Bill, is the teacher of all teachers who alone always speaks truth and his truth does not change. It's for every era, for every people group, for all time. Yes, can so I, good. Can I give the, the give us a challenge? Please. Here's our challenge of all the right. day, Bill. All right. Let's read the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 5 through 7. Okay. And as you read, let the greatest teacher show you truth. Marvel at his truth. Praise him for his truth. Be teachable to his truth. Let him speak to you in personal ways. Let him change your life to the abundant life through his teaching and his promises. And I would say, I'll add to that, Bev, that as you read Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, pray that these words, as you meditate and study them, they would become... uh, transactional for you. They will be life-changing. You will not just read and collect information and and read words on a page, but that you will let the words change you. Yeah. We're not stuffing our head with, with teaching. We're not trying to learn a math formula here. We are reading to develop. Um, his teaching is what grows us in our faith, what is the source of our abundant life. His teaching, it is... Um, it will give you wisdom beyond what you could get from the world. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to something you said about, so we have to ask ourselves, am I the authority in my life or is Jesus? And to be mindful that when we read God's word, that we uh, look at our life through the lens of scripture, not the other way around. Exactly. We, we are to conform to the scriptures, yes. not not try to conform the scriptures to our liking. Exactly. And I think that's a mistake that... Uh, People can make where they say, well, this is how I feel. Therefore, I'm going to look for ways that scripture will affirm what I feel. And I think you got to get ready to have your, your feelings and your will contradicted. Yes. And if you can't, uh, you know, if you can't turn yourself surrendered to a God that can contradict you, you don't have a God. No, he, he has authority. Yes, he does. Yeah. All right, so we've opened up uh, this discussion, and now there's people thinking, all right, I've got to read Matthew 5 to 7. and <laughs> There's your is, assignment. There's my assignment. i got a homework on Bill's show. Uh, that's not what I signed up for. 
Uh, and who's the authority <laughs> in my life? Is it me or is it Jesus? So there's some issues now, Bev. Maybe we can, you can close in prayer. I, I think that's a great idea. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word today. Thank you that you sent Christ into the world, who was the teacher. He speaks as, as you speak, Lord, because he is the Son of God, the one and only Son who speaks only what God, what you uh, would have him say. So, Lord, thank you that Christ speaks with authority, that we can trust his authority, that we can trust him to speak truth to us. And may, Lord, as we go into your word this week, help us to look at it as not just learning, but a way to get to know you. As we, we see you teach and hear your teaching, we get to know who you are. And that's the most important, not only how to live, but we get to see who you are, the authoritative Son of God who has all authority that has been given to him. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Beverly Canaris has been my guest. She is a Bible uh, teacher and uh, mentor and podcaster. Her podcast is She Is Becoming. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Greg Borgon is going to continue his study on the trajectory of salvation. Uh, We didn't cover it all last time we, we... talked about it and we're going to do it today so we'll take a short break and be right back it's the afternoon show with bill arno drive time drive time let's get it started jump in your car what's for dinner it's the afternoon show with bill arno All right, it wasn't too long ago, maybe a couple of weeks, Dr. Greg Borgon was in studio with me, and we were talking about the trajectory of salvation, (laughs) because salvation is uh, not not an event, but a process. And that was uh, the topic we got started on, and I thought there was much more meat on that bone. And so, (laughs) Greg, I'm looking at some bones with some meat on it. Um, So I'm glad to have you back. That's good to be back. So, you know, your your charts are so beautifully laid out. Your, your The way you think is is so um, organized. Is there anything you do that you wished you were better at? <laughs> well, what do you What do you wish you were better at? Fly fishing. Yeah. <laughs> That's one. Yeah. You've been uh, doing that for a while? Oh, I, you know, I did it in, in uh, Montana. I took my grandsons there, and we did a little fishing there, and I'd done it in a couple of other places. I just can't seem to get the knack of it. The other thing is... Cooking fried chicken. I just, you know, I cook a lot, but I just can't cook fried chicken. What is I, the secret? What do you think you're missing? I don't know. I got all the right herbs and spices, <laughs> even more than Kentucky <laughs> Fried Chicken. Yeah, it sounds like a Colonel Sanders commercial right there. Oh, my word. Herb, I, herbs and spices. Yeah, so, so that's that's it. But, you know, I, I've always been a lifelong learner, Bill, so I'm I'm always going off on rabbit trails and digging deeper and researching, especially on, you know, guy talk really stimulates my thinking because the questions that come in are just amazing. They're amazing. From, yeah. From the audience. And so it stimulates me to even go deeper. Uh, and so I, I just love doing the research and uh, plumbing in the depths that can never be fully reached because God is infinite and we're yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes when people fall into the deep end, they get a little nervous. Yeah. They'd rather they stay in the, in the end where they can splash yes. around and the water's only up to their waist. Which explains why, in many cases, Christians are a mile wide and an inch deep. <laughs> well, I mean, I do think it's intimidating. And yeah, it is. I, I, you know, when you, I, I, I will have learned something uh, a year ago that, that I thought, well, I could teach on that topic. 
And then a year later, I'm, I'm scratching my head going, what, what, what was it I, 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 what was it I learned? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah. if you don't keep refreshing things, uh, they do slip out of the... Well, yeah, I mean, if you're hearing something or you're reading something, you know, your retention is only going to be about 15%. I know. And when you study it, it jumps up to 35. When you memorize stuff, it goes higher than that. I know. And then the meditation. So, you know, this is a study of God's Word, I think, that gives you the kind of depth and understanding and comprehension and retention, if you will, of, of the things that you learn. Yeah. So you certainly can't be writing things down when you're driving. Because no, if you're on no. your way home right now from work, hey, first of all, I hope you had a good day at work. And then secondly, I, I just hope that uh, when you get home, you're stimulated to open your, your Bible. That's right. Because Greg will help us go deeper, which I love because um, I don't, I don't want to live my life, you know, uh, a mile wide and a half inch deep. No, I just no. don't. Like I've talked about before, nobody gets up in the morning and says, I just can't wait to be mediocre today. I know. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. <laughs> All right, let's get back into uh, right. salvation's trajectory. Let's just maybe a little bit of recap of yeah. what we talked about last time. So when I was on uh, last with you uh, on the air, Bill, we, we started to talk about it. We actually covered two of the, the stages. I indicated, as you pointed out at the beginning of our time today, that Salvation is not an event, but a process. I mean, conversion is an event, yep. but actually the process of salvation begins much earlier than that. So I described uh, the four stages of salvation's trajectory to include actually four um, uh, events or four circumstances, pre-conversion, conversion, post-conversion, and the final state. So picture, if you can, uh, an arrow displayed from left to right with four dots representing the four stages uh, positioned along it. I'll briefly summarize the first two stages I presented the last time I was with you. As I understand salvation, Bill, the journey to our ultimate destiny, heaven or hell, begins actually before we're born. None of us comes into this world with as an afterthought or a mistake or a coincidence. We were actually on the heart of God, a divinely ordained plan before we ever came to be. So when we talk about pre-conversion or the uh, events that begins with God's sovereign will to bring us into the world for a specific purpose, we read that in, of course, Psalm 139, verses 1 through 18 and Ephesians 2.10. We come into this world at a time, a place, a location, and family by God's preordained initiative. We mm-hmm. have no say in that matter. So that's even before uh, anything happens. Yeah. When I think of pre-conversion, I always think, well, aren't you just dead in sin at that point? But you're talking about even before... Even before that. We're talking about Psalm 139. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. God superintended you your formation the... in your mother's womb. I yeah. knew you before you ever were. I set the number of days. Okay. He walked this earth, and in Ephesians 2.10 simply states that God has got a unique purpose for your life that he planned in advance before you ever came That should to be. make people very happy. Well, hear. it should encourage them, yeah. hopefully, because they're probably told or learned by mistake, oh, I'm just a coincidence. No, 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 I'm you're so significant. Yes, you're absolutely. So, you matter, and you're so important. You hear matter me say to that. God. You matter yeah. to God. So our personality, temperament, and talents have been predetermined by God. We bear uh, his imprint in that we're created in his image with an inborn sense of the eternal that's embedded in our souls. We learned that from Ecclesiastes 3, 10, and 11. God's placed eternity in each man's soul, yet not so that he knows what God's done from the beginning to the end. Gives us that sense that there is something beyond who we are. 
from the get-go, God begins his pursuit of us. In John 6, 44, it says, no one comes to Christ except the Father draws him. That's pretty powerful. So over the course of time, um, after we're born, he sends people and uses circumstances and leverages events um, in our lives to bring us to conviction in John 16, 8, because the Holy Spirit is one of his primary functions is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So we have a need for a Savior. So the second stage of salvation's trajectory after pre-conversion begins when we seriously consider the claims of the gospel and decide to receive God's gift of grace. So when we talk about the gospel, you look at 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also receive. This is Paul speaking that Christ died for our sins in accordance with uh, the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to, to Cephas, Cephas, which is uh, Peter. His name is uh, uh, called Peter, originally Cephas. Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, uh, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to to me, which Paul is saying. Okay, Greg Borgon is my guest, and Greg, let's just say, let's just agree that is a perfect uh, summary of the gospel. Yeah, what you, what you just, exactly. What you just read. So that's what the claims of the gospel is, is that you've got to take into consideration who Jesus is, why he came, his purpose for being here, and the gift that God is offering us. So at this very moment, the second stage was punctuated by a very significant event that happens the minute that you receive Jesus Christ as Savior. It's called conversion. And we're calling that also being born from above. Born from above, that's right. That's a work born that again. God does uh, on you. On you, that's okay. right. So our conversion happens at the moment we declare our need and reception of God's provision through personal confession. When we truly repent and receive Christ as our Lord and Savior by a personal confession, several events come to us immediately and instantaneously. And when you unwrap this amazing gift package that is instantaneous, the moment that you bend your knee and receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, here's what happens. You're justified, which means you're declared righteous through Christ. You're redeemed, that is, you're ransomed from life of slavery to sin. You're reconciled, that is, you're restored to favorability with your Heavenly Father. You're indwelt with the Holy Spirit who takes up permanent residence in your soul. You're regenerated and given a new heart and become spiritually alive. You're adopted into the family of God and become joint heirs with Christ. You receive citizenship into the kingdom with its privileges, rights, and its duties. And you're given the fruit of the Holy Spirit in seed form to be cultivated in our lives. So we are given everything we need, it says in Scripture, to live a godly life in our fallen world. All right, Greg, isn't that just so amazing? Because we don't always understand our identity in Christ when we come to saving faith and we're born from above. It's so critical that you understand what now is yours. Yeah. What God has done for you and what is now your new identity. Isn't it amazing to wear the mantle of God's favorability? What does that mean? That means simply that the mantle of God's love and grace through Jesus Christ that brings us into favor that now we have established 
a relationship with our Creator Amazing. at the moment of conversion. Amazing. That's what I'm talking about. No, that, now it made sense to me. Okay, so let's move on to the third of four stages, the salvation's trajectory called post-conversion. This stage continues until God calls us home. So now that we're saved, we're on the road of becoming spiritually mature, hopefully. We are expected to grow, it says in Scripture, in the grace and knowledge of Christ, 2 Peter 3.18, and bear fruit befitting our repentance, Colossians 1, verse 9 and 10. This process of spiritual growth is empowered by the Holy Spirit in collaboration with our initiative. That is what the Bible means by working out your own salvation. This working out has nothing to do with earning salvation. It has to do with appropriating God's resources leading to our ultimate objective okay, of say, Christ-likeness. Say that again in another way. All right. Those were a, a little bit of profess, professorial <laughs> words. <laughs> so the fact is when we work out our salvation means that we partner with the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. who empowers us, who will ultimately bring us to completion in this process mm-hmm. of spiritual growth, that we initiate certain activities in our life that we're, uh, when we initiate them, we become more like Christ as we grow. That's what I mean by working out. So it's, it's like a train running on two rails, Bill. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit's on one, which will never derail the train. Right. We're on the other. That train doesn't move until we partner with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And we actually start to take responsibility for our spiritual growth. All right. We're going to take a little break. Dr. Greg Borgon is continuing his study on the uh, trajectory of salvation. There's the pre-conversion, the conversion, the post-conversion, and then the final state. Uh, We'll be right back with lots more. Hi, this is Bill Arnold. You might be the kind of person that goes to Paris and still listens to Faith Radio on the app. Or you might be more like the person that goes into the next room in your apartment and listens. The good news is, is using the app is just as easy in both places. Downloading the free app is crazy easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. And if you happen to be in Paris, there is a really nice little coffee shop not far from the Eiffel Tower that serves a really nice chocolate biscotti. Seems like just 90 seconds ago we were talking about working out. It has nothing to do with earning your salvation. Um, so let's talk uh, now about sanctification, another big word, Dr. Greg Borgon. First of all, <laughs> what is it and what is this big theological term and what does it mean tonight to me? Well, first of all, we have to understand that the ultimate objective is to become like Christ, and God does this through the process of us working out our salvation in conjunction with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The theological term for this growth uh, growth process is called progressive sanctification, that is, becoming more holy and godly in what we think, say, and do. And that's an incremental change that happens over time. So growing spiritually, becoming more holy and godly requires, first of all, discipline, devotion, and diligence. Mm -hmm. So the whole idea, Christ-likeness is our goal, but becoming like Christ takes, like I've just suggested to you, takes time and commitment. So several spiritual disciplines help us to do our part while the Holy Spirit does his part. For instance, worship, 
public, private, and personal, fellowship with other believers in a Bible-centered local church, Bible study, which goes beyond just hearing and reading. I mean, studying the Word of God, memorizing, meditating on it, bathing in that water of God's Word, witnessing through godly living and testifying the truth, service to others and the benefit of others, stewardship, which is, you know, uh, watching over your time, talents, and treasure and leveraging that for, for God's redemptive purposes, and love for God through obedience and for others by acting in their best interest. So all of those spiritual disciplines aid us in moving along this continuum towards spiritual maturity. Now, all of these events are motivated by action-oriented, unconditional love, as described in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. We become, in essence, fat Christians, the only time you don't have to go on a diet. That means you're faithful, available, and teachable. That's all you bring to the process, Faithful, being faithful, available, and teachable. Now, J.I. Packer, a gifted theologian now with the Lord, described what we are made for. He says, as rational persons, we were made to bear God's moral image, that is, our souls, who were made to run on the practice of worship, law-keeping, truthfulness, honesty, discipline, self-control, and service to God and others. If we abandon these practices, he says— Not only do we incur guilt before God, we are progressively destroying our souls. Conscience atrophies, that is, shrinks up. Mm -hmm. The sense of shame dries up. One's capacity for truthfulness, loyalty, and honesty are eaten away. One's character disintegrates. One not only becomes more desperately miserable, one is steadily being dehumanized. So when we violate, Bill, God's design purposes, we can expect less than favorable results. When we violate God's designed purposes, purposes, we can expect less than favorable, favorable results. results. Those, those are very true words, <laughs> Greg. All right, let's move on to the last stage. When God finally calls us home, we enter the final state of salvation's trajectory, which is referred to as glorification. That's the theological term for it, but it's the final state. It is says in Scripture, Bill, that it's appointed for man to die once, and then comes judgment, Hebrews 9, 27. So for the unbeliever... He'll appear or she will appear before God's great white white throne of judgment where punishment will be administered, according to Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Unbelievers are sent immediately to a temporary holding place to wait their final resurrection, judgment, and eternal destiny, which happens at the end of the millennium. Hmm. So, And and their, their ultimate destination, of course, is hell. The believer, on the other hand, appears before what's called the judgment seat of Christ, to receive rewards, according to 2 Corinthians 5.10. I'm all for that. So believers' souls and spirit, souls and, and their spirit are immediately taken to heaven, a temporary holding place to await the bodily resurrection. So our ultimate destination, of course, is a new earth. At Christ's return, to begin his millennial reign of a thousand years on earth, believers will join him, according to 1 Thessalonians 4.13-18, and their souls will be given new heavenly bodies. That's awesome. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 through 39. So in heaven, in the new birth, there will be no more curse, no more pain, no more suffering, no sorrow, no weeping, no sin, or, quote, anyone who does what is detestable or false, according to Revelation 21, 1 through 4, and 22, verse 3. So that will be, so, so the question then you might be asking, what are we going to be doing in heaven? 
And later on in the new earth, are we going to be playing a harp on a cloud? No. Listen to this and, and rejoice in Which this. would not be fair to harp players. No. Which <laughs> who make their living playing harp. <laughs> yes. We will continue to learn unhindered this time by cloudy minds or false perceptions. It'll take eternity to comprehend the things of God. Here you have finite creatures right. trying to comprehend the depths of God. It'll take eternity to do that. So we'll be learning, but we'll be not hindered with any barriers or, or cloudy thinking, as I suggested. Our service to the kingdom will begin in the millennium and continue thereafter on a new earth. I don't know what form that's going to take, Bill. Yeah. But I knew we're going to be serving him. I'll be happy to do it. We'll be worshiping our Lord and Savior by thought, word, and deed, which will be our spiritual worship, similar to what we read in Romans 12, 1 through 3. Once we're in his presence, we'll know the will of God and how we can worship him in a way that demonstrates our spiritual worship of him. We'll also, and this is wonderful, will also be reunited with our loved ones who have preceded us and our believers. Amen. This includes, by the way, and this should give you hope, folks that, that are listening here, this includes those we lost through miscarriage and abortion. Second Samuel twelve fifteen through 23 talks about David and the loss of his son. He says, uh, he can't be with me, but I will be joining him. What a great day that oh, will amen. be. Amen. Yep. So the idea is what else will we be doing is unknown, really. I'm sure he has plans for us that will astound us for eternity. Yeah. So salvation's trajectory is more than we possibly imagine. Four stages mark our journey. Pre-conversion, where God initiatives uh, bring us to himself through Christ. Conversion, where we're brought into his family. Post-conversion, where we grow in Christ-likeness and our final state where we join him for eternity. What a trajectory. Wow, that sounds fantastic. You know, and I wouldn't be surprised if God reveals more and more and more about himself throughout all of eternity. Absolutely. New surprises Absolutely. all the time, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And it's never, it's ever going to end. For somebody who's committed to lifelong learning, I'm just going to have a ball. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it will be fantastic. And just the whole idea, because you had mentioned this, that there's going to be uh, no pain and no suffering and no tears and nothing detestable will be done. No lies, no untruths. You imagine what that would be like? No. Well, you know, Debbie and I uh, went through the tragedy of losing four babies. And before we had our daughter, Monique, and I know because of God's promise and because of David recounting his own situation that I'm going to see them again. Amen. They may be being raised by relatives who are followers of Christ that have already preceded me. And uh, I'll be seeing them again. So I hope that encourages the listener. Thank you, Greg Borgon, for this teaching. It's been great. Salvation's Trajectory. If you missed any of this, head over to the podcast and check it out. We're going to take a break, and then hour two is just ahead. Dr. Rebecca Ree is my guest. We're going to discuss 1 Kings chapter 17. Don't go anywhere. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.